Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning to do just what your word says in First Peter. God, we cast our cares upon you. And we do that because we know that you care for us. So God, we do not enter this place this morning pretending that our lives are carefree. We do not enter this place pretending that we have no anxieties, no heartaches, no worries, no stress, no pressures. Father, we come this morning fully recognizing that our cares are many. But God, we come this morning fully recognizing that you are our great, faithful, sure, and steady anchor. God, there is no situation in our life that you do not understand. There is no situation in our lives that you are unaware of. So God, we come this morning and we cast our cares upon you. And we pray that, God, you would grant peace and strength and comfort and wisdom in your goodness, in your wisdom, in your sovereignty. Thank you for being a God who is greater than any care of the world, any situation we face. Oh, God, we lift our souls to you. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within us. We say, bless the Lord. Amen. We'll turn in your copy of God's Word this morning to Romans chapter 14. We will be continuing on in Romans 14, starting in verse 13. Two things in my life that I love, and I think most of you are aware of these two things, is I love to deer hunt, and I love to run. Particularly, I love to trail run. And so that's why one of my favorite things to do is to go out to PC Park and to run the trails out there if you've never done that, I would encourage you to get out. There are some beautiful trails. The, one of the reasons I love that is because nine times out of ten, when I'm running those trails, I see deer. I, I enjoy it. I've had deer just stand and watch. I've had them panic and run. I, I've even had a doe come running head on at me on the trail like we were playing chicken, and she finally glanced off and, and got out of the way. But a few, um, I guess maybe three months ago, I was running out there, and I've been running for a while. I was like a half a mile from my truck, not far from from being done. And I'm running, and this doe comes jetting right across the trail. I mean, right in front of me, like from here to those chairs, out of nowhere. And so I'm running, and I love deer. I I just love I think they're beautiful creatures. And so I'm running, and she runs right across, and I went, and I'm looking at her. Now, if you've ever run through the woods— there's something you need to do. You need to look ahead, right? 
So the deer runs across, and I look at her and admiring, wow, she's a beautiful deer. And I don't even know that that thought got through my mind good before I was supermanning across the trail. And if you don't know what that means, that means you're diving and you're flying through the air like Superman, and you land just like you're diving into home plate <laughs> across the trail. I didn't like the deer at that moment. I was wishing it was deer season in that moment. I had stumbled. I had fallen. I was thinking about that this morning, or not this morning, this week, in preparation. We think about stumbling, and we think about the effects that others have on us. And that deer was oblivious. I don't think she even knew I was coming. Something had spooked her. But she was oblivious to me and had no care in the world to me and went about her life while I was raking up myself off the trail and scraping off skin on rocks and blood on me. She didn't have a care in the world. And I, I wondered as I read this text and was just sitting in my office thinking, and I was reminded of that, that moment in my life, I was kind of thinking, you know, I wonder how many times we almost live like that deer, where we are consumed by our lives, we're consumed by our cares, we're consumed by what we want and what we think and what we know, and we really give little regard to the impact that it has on the people around us. And all the while, we go about living our lives and people around us stumble. And so that's what we turn our attention to this morning is a text where Paul teaches the people that we are not to be a stumbling block for those around us. You'll remember last week in verses 1 through 12, Paul's admonition, talking about, again, re remember, this is a, a part of a large section all the way through 15, 13, that is about Christian liberty. How do we live out our freedom in Christ. We've been set free in Christ. So what does that look like? What does it look like for us to live free in Christ? And last week, Paul talked about how we are indeed free in Christ. We don't need to quarrel over our opinions. We don't need to cast judgment on one another over their convictions. We are simply to live for Christ and that the key is to live for the Lord. We talked about the importance of that, that, that Paul made reference to for the Lord seven times in just a few verses there uh, in, in verses 7 through 9. And so we talked about that. And then, then out of that, this section, Paul transitions to saying, listen, as you live for the Lord, make sure that you do so in a way that does not cause another believer to stumble. And so that's what we turn our attention to this morning. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans 14, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one, any, on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not 
for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So the the first thing we see here in verses 13 through 16 is a, a very simple truth that perhaps is difficult to work out at times. It's the simple truth, the simple admonition from Paul that we are not to be a stumbling block. Now, I, I kind of found it interesting as I just thought through the entire text and tried to kind of take a step back from what Paul's thinking and what I had read and studied. As, as you read verses 1 through 12 and you think about Christian liberty and that, that we are free from judgment based on our convictions. We are to live for the Lord. We live free in Christ. The primary thing is that we live convictionally for Christ, for His glory. When I come to verse 13, if I'm just thinking and I don't know what it says, and Paul says, therefore, then I'm anticipating perhaps that, that Paul might say something along the lines of, of, of just live out your convictions in complete freedom because there's no one who can judge you. If you just live for the Lord, just live out your convictions. But he doesn't say that, does he? No. Instead, when he gets to verse 13, he, he kind of shifts. He says, listen, you, you have complete freedom. You live based upon your convictions. Focus on living for the Lord, right? Therefore, I, I want you to know in light of that, you need to be aware of your fellow believers. You, you need to be aware of the impact that your life has on those around you. So essentially, Paul's saying, listen, live in freedom, but realize that you do not live in a vacuum, you do not live in this nice, idealistic world where the way you live has no influence or impact on others. It does have great influence on others around you. And we need to realize that. So Paul says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He says decide or, or determine or make up your mind or, or judge or resolve. It's something that, that we do ahead of time, that we, we set our mind upon it. We think ahead and say, when this comes about, how will I respond? That, that's something in, in the various, you know, the different two different sports that I've coached in the past, or really three, in, in every one I tried to get our teams and our individuals to think about in, in this situation, when this happens, how am I going to respond? In a race, when I've got it planned to go this way, but it goes differently, and I feel bad, or I trip, how am I going to respond when I trip? We're not planning to trip, but how do we respond when we do? I, I want to think ahead. I want to decide that when that happens, I'm getting up, and I'm going to gradually work my way back into the race, and I'm not stopping. I decide ahead of time. This is how I'm going to respond in those situations. And, and Paul is essentially saying the same thing. He says, listen... Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He's saying, listen, I need to think ahead. And when that moment comes and I realize, man, this could cause my brother or my sister to stumble, 
then I'm just going to decide ahead of time I'm not going there. I'm not doing it because I love my brother. I care about my brother. I am going to settle upon this course of action. That course of action is specifically that I would live free in Christ, but I will not cause a brother to stumble. I'm going to be aware of that potential. Now, I think this is where the problem lies for us. The, the problem lies that, that we, I think, sometimes are more wrapped up in this American ideology of, of individualism, of meism, than we are in a sincere concern, a biblical love for our brother and sister. That we're, we're more wrapped up, we're more grounded in independence as a person, as an individual, as an American, than we are saying, you know what? I so love my brother or my sister in Christ that I am willing to make sacrifices to my lifestyle and my things that I want to do if it is good for them. Because I'm not just focused on myself. We live in a culture that is constantly shouting and saying, hey, you do you. And it's not just that I just want you to do you, but I want to say that. Why? Because I want you to say what? You do you to me. So I want, I want to be able to say, hey, I'm going to be me. I'm going to just live however I want. And that's good. That's fine. But listen, we need to be less concerned about the you do you and be more concerned with I am concerned about you. I love you. I care about you. I don't want to see you stumble. So I would say, yes, be yourself, but live for more than yourself. Don't just live for yourself. So the Christian is to decide, to determine, to resolve, not to live in such a way that he would bring harm to the faith of another brother or sister. That's just who we are. That's the calling of the word on our lives. In verse 14, Paul says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, listen, this, this is not an issue of something being right or wrong or something being good or bad. He says, listen, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul was aware of Jesus' teaching in Mark 7, 14, 19, where he declares that all foods are clean. We know and we read back and we see uh, the, the time where, where Peter is given a vision from the Lord as he goes to see Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And in that moment, God reminds him what? That all things are clean. And Paul says, listen, it's not that I don't think some things are good or bad. Some things are clean or unclean. That's not the issue. This isn't an issue of, of what I know. This is an issue of how it impacts those around us. But see, we can really get tangled up on verse 14, if we're honest. We can really get tangled up with, tangled up with there's nothing wrong with that. That's not sinful for me. And so I can do it. And, and we, can, we can stay there and, and camp there, but we have to realize that it's not enough for us to just discern whether something is right or wrong. We have to consider its effect on other people believers we have to consider how it impacts those around us that that's that's paul's focus paul's focus is not on whether something is clean or unclean right or wrong good or bad his focus is on 
How does my life affect the lives and the faith of other believers around me? So he says in verses, the remainder of 14 and into 15, he says, if, if, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. If, if something I'm doing is, is causing my brother to stumble, then I need to quit doing that. Essentially, we have to be willing to make the difficult and the loving decision to not lead a brother to stumble. And the reality is this. The reality is this may indeed inconvenience us. This may cramp my style. This may infringe on your freedom in Christ. But what's more important? What's more valuable? You living for you? Or how your life affects your brother or sister in Christ? You see, Paul's focus is that we are to walk in love towards our brother. That's what he says in verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. We understand that as believers, we are called to walk in love to those around us. We are called to walk in a way that is good for them. In a way that is not selfish, but looks about what is good for them. What shows care and concern for them. We're not to be caught up in the American religion of meism. We're to reject that. We're to live for the Lord. We're to walk in love. We, we hear other passages. This is not something that's just isolated. This is not some unique teaching in Paul. This is consistent. It's the same thing in, in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Paul says this. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. He, he says, you're to walk in love. Now, what is the precedent for that, what it looks like? As Christ also has loved us and given, for, given himself for us. You want to know what it looks like to, to live your life in a way that shows love to the people sitting around you? You want to know what it looks like to to live your life in a, such a way that it shows love to the people that we gather and we sit and fellowship with here, then look to Christ. Look at how he lived. Look at what he did for you. Look at what he did in his coming, living for us, dying for us, serving. Look to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, Paul says a very simple, blunt statement. As he wraps up the letter to the Corinthian church that had so many struggles, so many difficulties. And his simple statement is this, let all that you do be done in love. All that you do be done in love. Not in selfishness, not in a way that would be good for you, but let all that you do be done in love. In John 13, 34, a passage that we dug pretty deeply into back last summer. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Again, what's the precedent for this? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, what? Just as I have loved you, so shall you love one another. Christ is the precedent. Romans 12, 9 through 10, just a couple months ago, Paul says, let love be genuine. Do you remember that? Let love be genuine, abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
with brotherly affection. Is that how you walk in love? Is that how you live out your life? Is that how I walk in love? Is that how I live out my life? That I have a brotherly affection for you? That I look and I count you not as just someone who goes to church with me, but I look and I say, there is my sister in Christ, that is my brother in Christ, and I'm so concerned about you that I, I have an affection for you and I want to see you built up because I have a genuine love for you. Can that be said of me? Can that be said of you? We think of the beautiful statements in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul talks about the supremacy of love, the value of love. You can have all the gifts. You can have the gifts of prophecy, speaking in tongues, but if you have not love, it's worthless. He talks about faith and hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. And he describes what this love looks like. If you want to know what it walks, looks like to walk in love to your brother, consider this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What does it look like to walk in love with one another? It it looks like being patient with others. It looks like being kind towards them. It looks like not being rude to them. It bears all things. Or we see 1 John 3, 16 16 to 18, where we read this about love. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Listen, I can stand up here. And you can sit out there and we can say and we can nod and we can write down notes all day long about don't be a stumbling block. Walk in love. But if we just say that, if we just write that, if we just nod to that, yet we are never willing to do the hard work of making sacrifices for those around us so that they don't stumble in their faith, if we don't actually show patience to them, if we don't actually be kind to them, if we don't actually bear with them, if we don't actually treat them the way Christ has treated us, then we are not walking in love. The call to not be a stumbling block is not something that we simply give lip service to and move on. It's something we take seriously for the good of our brothers. Verses 17 to 19, Paul does the same thing here as he did earlier in verses 7 through 9. Remember last week I said Paul's giving these practical instructions, right? And he just drops these little theological nuggets in there. He does the same thing again. He's walking through this practical instruction of what it looks like to not be a stumbling block, the admonition don't be a stumbling block, but walk in love. Don't destroy the things or the one for whom Christ died. That's a powerful statement right there. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't live in such a way that it destroys the one for whom 
Christ died? I mean, think of the value that Christ has on one for whom he died for. Could we then live in such a way that we're so careless and and so self-absorbed that we would not live in a way that does not cause them to stumble, that we would instead live in a way that hurts them and what Paul says destroys them? That's a heavy word. In verse 17 and 19, he gives that theological foundation. He, He says, for the kingdom of God, there's that flag word, right? For, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. He says, listen, here's the, here's the theology is that, that the kingdom of God is not about the things of the world. It's not about pleasures. It's not about my own desires. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why, why does Paul do this? Why does he do this in the first section that we covered last week? Why does he come back here? And why are we going to see that in verse 15 that he talks about Christ and who he is and the example of Christ? Why does he do this? Because Paul understands that we cannot divorce our practical living from our theological foundations. The two can't be divorced. They're inseparable. They're tied together. Now, at, at this point, I got curious this week, and hopefully curiosity didn't kill the cat. We'll see. But I got curious because I'm, I'm thinking in my notes, I wrote down orthodoxy should always drive us to orthopraxy. What we believe will always influence how we live. And so I went on the plethora of 21st century wisdom known as Wikipedia and typed in orthopraxy. Let me read to you what Wikipedia says about orthopraxy. In the study of religion, orthopraxy is correct conduct, both ethical and liturgical. Okay as opposed to faith or grace. Orthopraxy is in contrast with orthodoxy. Although traditional Christianity is seen as primarily orthodoxical, some Christian denominations and leaders today have started to describe their religions as both orthodoxical and orthopraxic. The premise is correct belief compels correct action. An incorrect action is caused by incorrect beliefs. Now, just a side note, students, do not use Wikipedia as a reference in your research. Do not. It's terrible. This is a a great example of why it's not reliable. Listen, you need to know that orthodoxy and orthopraxy are not at odds. I guess Wikipedia is so free, I could go on and change this. Maybe I should do that this week. I've never typed in something into Wikipedia, but maybe we'll just change it this week. Or if one of you want to, you can do that. Anybody can. Do you know that about Wikipedia? Anybody can go in there and change it. You're an expert. Okay. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy are not at odds. They are absolutely tied together. What you believe will absolutely determine how you live. And Paul understood this. This is not something that 
that, that we now, that some Christian denominations and leaders today have started to describe. No, this is Scripture. This is biblical foundations. This is theological truth that who Christ is and what Christ did influences how we live. Paul, Paul did that all throughout the New Testament. All throughout when, when God says in the Old Testament, you shall live this way. It's prefaced by, I am the Lord your God who called you out, who redeemed you, who saved you. Now go and live. We see that. That is the precedent because our beliefs and our understanding of who God is and what he's done will absolutely determine how we live. And so Paul knows that. He knows that. And so he brings us back and he says, listen, don't be a stumbling block. You're not to be a stumbling block. And here's why. It's not because that'll just help church growth. It's not because that'll make your brother feel better. No, it's because that's not what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if that's what the kingdom's about, then let's leave all that stuff behind. Let's stop worrying about what's right and wrong and what I'm doing and where I'm free and this is great. I enjoy that, so I'm not really worried about you. No, let's leave that behind and let's pursue righteousness. Let's pursue peace. Let's pursue joy in the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be doing that for all eternity, I say let's start doing it now. If that's what it's going to be like in glory, let's let that be what it's like now. Let's be that church. Let's realize that kingdom values always trump worldly desires. Always. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how strong your worldly desire is. It doesn't matter, matter how great you enjoy that thing. If it is, comes in opposition to a kingdom value, then it's trumped by it. You have Rook players in here? Anybody play Rook? Seriously? No? Okay. Well, I can speak to two of you. In Rook, there's a trump. It's a trump color. And, and the, whoever gets the bid, the, the, the beginning says red is trumps. And it doesn't matter if you have the weakest red in the whole deck and you play the strongest of another color. That strongest one gets laid down and you trump it. And guess what? That weak little red defeats it all. And that's how it is with, with kingdom values. It doesn't matter how much I long for something. It doesn't matter how much I like something. It doesn't matter how good something makes me feel. It doesn't matter how much I say, hey, it's okay for me to do that. I'm free. When it comes against the kingdom value of you shall not be a stumbling block to your brother, it's trumped. When it comes and all of a sudden it's not bringing peace in the body, it's trumped. When it comes and all of a sudden it is not building others up, he says in verse 19, but we should pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding. Same thing he said in Ephesians 4.29, talking about our, our words and what we say. Do not speak what would tear others down or drag others down or destroy. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But what is edifying and building up and provides grace for the moment is the same thing. We're to build others up, not tear them down. That's the kingdom value. That's the theological truth that is the foundation for all of this. In verse 18, again, he says the same thing that we talked about earlier. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. It's, it's about your commitment to the Lord. It's about living for him. The key is living for him who serves Christ. That is what makes you acceptable, not the things you do, the things you eat, the things you don't eat. And then verse 19, 
so then. He lays that foundation. So then, let's pursue those things. If that's what it's about, so then, let's do it. We need to have a very good theology of so then in our lives. We need to have a category where we read God's word and it says something and we go, so then, I'm doing it. That we submit to the authority of Scripture and we pursue peace, we pursue mutual upbringing for those in the body. In verses 20 to 23, I just wrote in my notes, did you hear me the first time? Parents, have you ever found yourself repeating yourself? Why do you do that? Kids, do you ever notice that your parents repeat themselves a lot? Maybe it's the simple repetition of I love you every day before you leave, before you go to bed. Maybe it's the repetition, parents who have kids that are drivers. We have a new driver in our house this week. Brace yourselves. He's right there. You know what I say to him? And I'll probably say to him, I still say it to Sydney. She left for school yesterday. You know what I said? Be careful. I don't think she's going to go and try to run into something. Why do I want her to be careful? It's important to me. She's important to me. Why do I tell them I love them over and over and over and over and over again? Because I want them to know I love them. We repeat things that are important. We repeat the things that we want to emphasize to people. And you know what Paul does? He repeats himself. If, God, if God's word says something once, we submit to it and listen to it and obey it. When he says it twice, we submit to it, listen to it, obey it, and go, uh, let's asterisk that and star it and take special note of that because it is being repeated by God Almighty, and it is important to him, and we better understand it, and we better realize it. And that's what happens here, is Paul just repeats himself. So instead of walking step by step right through it, let me just remind you the three things he says. In verse 20, the beginning, he says again, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of your own preferences and freedoms. Don't, don't destroy the one who God has died for. Don't do it. And then we see verse 20 and 21. It, it's wrong to allow your personal freedom to cause a brother to stumble. It's the same teaching. He's saying the same thing. He's teaching that same principle. And then he goes on to teach the same principle again. The issue isn't whether something's good or bad. The issue is, does it cause my brother to stumble? The issue is not, well, there's nothing wrong with it. The issue is not, well, my conviction is blank. That's not the issue. Paul's clear. The issue is, how do you carry out your conviction in a way that does not cause your brother to stumble? That's the issue. That's the issue. Listen, we, we read 1 Corinthians 8. You, you can go on to, to read 1 Corinthians 9, too. You don't have to flip over to 8, but let me just highlight a couple of things. This is where, where Paul is applying this principle that he teaches in Romans 14. 
It's really applied in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, where they're struggling through, do we eat this food? That, that food is sacrificed to idols, so should I eat it or not? I know it's not a big deal, but there's some may struggle with it. I don't know. And Paul addresses it. He, he says first a couple of things that we need to point out. And he talks about not being a stumbling block in these passages. In, in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What are you more focused on? What you know? He, he says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess and or that all of us possess this knowledge. We know that it's clean. But he says, man, that, that knowledge can just puff you up. I know that. Yeah, that's great. What are you doing with that knowledge, though? Are you building others up in love? The issue is not what you know, but how are you using your knowledge for the sake of God's glory and the good of your brother? Then look down at, at, at verse 9. He's talking about this this. Uh, not all possess this knowledge. There are some who, who are struggling with this. And he says, listen, food will not commend us to God. Remember, the same thing he said in Romans, right? It's not about what you eat or don't eat. That's not what makes you acceptable to God. What makes you acceptable to God is Christ, serving Christ. He says, we're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But, here it is, verse 9. This is important. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. We, we can get so worked up about our opinions and convictions. We can get so wrapped up in them. And at the end of the day, I think what Paul says, we are no worse off if we do that or if we don't. So you better make sure that that right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Paul's conclusion is, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I cause my brother to stumble. That's his conclusion. Paul knows that meat is not unclean. He knows it. But he says, listen, if that's going to cause my brother to stumble, I am not going to eat meat. Is there anything in your life, anything in my life, that I am so gripped to, that I so enjoy, that I would not set it aside for the sake of a brother or sister in Christ? We need to be careful if there is. Let's close with four questions we must ask in response to this. Four simple questions for you to mull over. First one, what's more important? What's more important, your freedom or your brother's faith? What's more important? What do you value more? What do you esteem more? Second, am I harming the faith of others by the way I am carrying out my Christian liberty? Ask yourself that question this week. Sit down this afternoon with the Lord and just pray and say, God, is there anything that I'm doing in the way I'm living out my faith that is causing harm to the faith of those around me? Third, 
what, what motivates your relationship with other believers? What motivates it? Is it selfishness or is it love towards them? What's motivating the way you interact? Are you motivated by just doing what you want and getting what you want? Or are you motivated by a sincere, genuine concern and love for your brother and sister? And then finally, I think this is very, very important. Finally, who might I easily lead to stumble? Have you ever thought about that? Who, who in your life might you easily lead to stumble? Here, here, here are a few. Young people. Adults, you need to realize you can easily lead a child or a youth, your own child, to stumble. And you just need to be aware of that. New believers would be another one. Someone who has just come to faith. They don't understand. They, have, they don't have the knowledge that you have. Could easily lead them to stumble. Or perhaps a believer who has a particular temptation or sin struggle. Maybe because of a past experience or maybe it's just because of what they struggle with. That individual you could lead to stumble very easily. Now, we don't always know exactly who that is. We don't know everybody's sin struggles. So I want to decide beforehand that if one day I find out that Randy struggles with something that I was unaware of and he shares that with me, that my default response and posture is if I'm causing him to struggle, I'm going to make some changes because I care about that brother in Christ. We need to ask ourselves serious questions. Not just listen to a sermon and move on. But we need to wrestle through what Paul teaches us. You know, I know some of you in here might be considered or maybe thinking, maybe I'm weak. Maybe that's because you're new in the faith. Maybe it's because you're just struggling. Maybe it's because you're young. And my appeal to you would be this. Don't build your faith on a man. God, God has given us the responsibility to set a good example, to build you up, to not cause you to stumble. But at the same time, you need to understand that man disappoints. Man lets you down. So don't build your faith on a man, any man, any. Build your faith on Christ, on the Son of God, because He is faithful. He is holy, holy, holy. He is a sure and steady anchor. So when the winds of life pursue when they rock your boat, when a brother stumbles or a sister stumbles, if your faith is built on Christ, your faith will hold fast because He will hold you fast.
So let us live in a way that does not cause our brothers to stumble. And let us look to Christ, our sure and steady anchor, who holds us fast. Let's pray. Oh God, we adore you, we worship you, we praise you. And God, we need your wisdom. God, I I pray that for each one of us in here, myself included, that if there's something that we are doing, a way that we're living that is detrimental to the faith of someone around us, God, make us aware of that. And God, give us such a deep and rich love for our brothers and sisters that in that moment, our desire is not to defend ourselves, not to prove ourselves, but our desire is to love well. So God, I ask that you would help us to pursue peace and the mutual upbuilding of those in our body. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.